Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This fortnightly podcast brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across our African continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. And on this episode, we're featuring our first contribution from Lesotho. Here's Moso Simatlane and his story, The Boys Whose Hearts Were Sepulchres. On Sundays, Silonalan would stare at the white boy. The boy would look away and smile, a remnant smile, flickering upon his rosy lips. It was because of that smile that Silo kept staring. Before long, Silo had come to think of it as a cat and mouse game, one they played every Sunday, and one it was pointless to deny it now that Silo came to church with the sole intention of playing. As the congregation sat on the pews, Drowning in Eucharistic hymns, Silo's eyes would meet the boy's briefly, before the boy pulled his green-eyed gaze away, shifting slightly in his seat to show what discomfort, pleasure, boredom. Silo was embarrassed at first. The embarrassment of two boys whose eyes accidentally graze against each other. A moment suspended in time. Questions asked of each other. It was a strange signal, and with this signal picked up in restaurants, malls, and nightclubs, boys could tell what the other was and what the other wasn't. Sometimes the moment would lead to a conversation, to exchanging numbers, to sex. Other times, the boys would disconnect their gazes, walking away from each other like nothing had happened. Silla couldn't tell which scenario the boys' eyes could lead to. The smile was evasive, opaque. He needed a surer sign. Whenever someone shifted on the pews, Silo would study the boy through the opening left by the person's body. The way he shaped his lips in an O when he sang along to the hymns, the way he crossed and uncrossed his legs for most of the service, still, Silo could not tell. But the ambiguity also kept him interested things in motion and things in stillness. The sturdy body underneath the boy's clothes, his dark hair the color of licorice. In the mornings, Silo's mother, Marcelo, would turn the trips to church into impromptu driving lessons. Silo was about to finish his matric. She would tell him how a driver's license had to be his first adult document to come even before his matric results. But Silo didn't want to be an adult. He didn't even like driving. Ideally, he would have liked to remain 18 forever. Endless days with friends. Homework was tolerable if it meant he would never have to face the future. And so his hands would tremble against the car's steering wheel. Marcelo was impatient and would bang her hand against the dashboard when he made a mistake. To make himself feel better, Silo would think about the boy. The opportunity to start a conversation with him never presented itself. The church's architecture itself was designed to separate them. Although they both sat in the third row, a wide polished aisle stood between them. It was impossible for Silo to look too long at him without being conspicuous. Leaning forward would risk a brush with the nape of the person in front. There was also Bishop Murray. 
he had a gift of sucking every strand of inattention from his congregation until for a few minutes one forgot about God and Jesus and he became everything and everything became him. With his white robes sweeping the floor as he walked and talked, he looked like a flower that had bloomed from the center of the earth. Watching him was a sensation so pronounced that Silo felt he was sinning just by looking at the boy. Silo would make an effort to cast every thought of the boy to the back of his mind, away from the stained glass eyes of the church, away from Bishop Murray. Even if Silo wanted to approach the boy, most times Masilo would whisper to Silo just before the service ended, Hazamai. Lately, she had been attending church as little as possible, a stark contrast to her enthusiasm when they first moved to Lady Brent. Masilo was a bishop's daughter herself back at the parish in Lesotho, and for her, church was a fact of life that grounded her in whatever local she flung herself to. In Ladybrand, she was rootless. This was a frontier town built to consolidate the land the Boers had taken from the Basutu in the 1800s. It was built for white people. So was the church. Masilo would make conversation in the hope of re-establishing herself in the new parish, only to be reprimanded by small talk that quickly went cold, smiles that never reached the eyes, and even rebuffs. After service, Silo and his mother would be the first to leave. Opening the wooden doors, the sunlight had a flat, blinding quality. Its glare made Silo's head hurt. Or maybe it hurt because, once again, he left the church without so much as a word with the boy. One Sunday, Marcelo and Silo left the church through the normal shiftless routine. Approaching the car, Silo already treaded the possibility that she would make him drive. The car would turn off when he changed gears. The lessons would just add to his failures. Silo excused himself. He needed to escape. What if I told him right now that I want to fuck him? Right here on God's lawn. He drifted to the edge of the lawn, intending to calm his nerves with a drink of water. He bent down to the stone drinking fountain. He had barely drunk when a hand came into his view. The flow of water stopped. A white hand gripped the tap so tightly that tendons moved beneath the skin. Silo raised his head, frozen, with water crystals trembling around his mouth. Silo found the boy standing in front of him, as real as the touch of water on his lips. And then, the familiar smile, unsure of itself, so, so delicate. It warmed Silo's chest like having a baby wrap his palm around his finger. Silo opened his mouth to speak. The smile disappeared. Silo stayed silent instead, watching the boy's mouth pull furrows across his forehead. His eyes changed, the mirth leaving them. This was how human beings unraveled. The boy took a step closer. His breath poured against the side of Silo's face. If you keep looking at me, I'll fucking kill you. I'm not a Morphe, okay?
Silva nodded. Why did he nod? Up close, he appeared so big that Silva felt he was being pulverized into the earth. Silva didn't even know his name and yet, Brayton, the woman called from across the lawn. The boy unlatched himself from Silva. Brayton, Silva knew that woman. Her name was Annalise, Bishop Marie's wife. She wore the same green suit every Sunday, a shade lighter than the green of the lawn. Even from afar, Silla could see hints of Brayton's face in hers, his soft features reconfigured into a cruder, more angular design. Brayton, a strange name without epoch or place. It could have belonged in the American cities or here in the farmlands of Lady Brent. Brayton, like Marcello, had a parent who was a bishop. Connections severed before they could form. Brayton hopped towards his mother with an athletic gait. He didn't look back at Syl. Mrs. Marie threw an arm around his shoulders, kissed him on the lips. Brayton absorbed this with a shudder and walked away. Mrs. Marie remained. The lines on her face hadn't at Sil. She had seen Brayton speak to him, the faces close. Silo saw his chains of revenge. There was fear in Mrs. Marie's eyes, and as punishment for how Brayton had made him feel, Silo would make it real. When they got home, Brayton would have to explain to her why their faces had been just centimeters apart. He met Mrs. Marais' glare with the force of his own. He hoped that she could see the last he felt for Brayton, for boys whose biceps picked out their shirts with hormonal beauty, boys who could love only in the darkness. After that Sunday, the days moved on as only Lady Brandes could. Small town days when the smell of boredom was everywhere and made things slow and elemental. One hot day, Silo went to Lylehook with his friends, Refile, Seiso, and Junaid. Silo had known Refile from his primary school days in Lesotho, but he had met Junaid and Seiso after moving to Ladybrand. The four found an empty campsite and started a braai. The boys took their tops off. Refila peeled off her frock to reveal a neon green bikini top. They moved around the park, feeling white people's eyes against their bare brown backs. When the meat was done braying, it came out tough and blackened. They ate it regardless. Later in the day, the heat lessened. Silo and Refilo broke away from the boys to take a walk amongst the pines. Earlier that week, Silo had said something unforgivable to her. Though he felt remorseful, he hadn't apologized. Silo and Refilo argued under the shade of a pine, and then all was forgiven. Another day, the friends crammed into Junaid's car, played the summer's biggest songs, and joined the N8 to Bloemfontein. 
that petrol was running low. Watching farm after farm pass by the window, Silo was electrified by the wildness of the land. The petrol finished near Bochabelo. How much money did you guys bring? The boys left to buy petrol, leaving Silo and Refile in the car. They had only been gone for five minutes when Refilo bolted from the car and ran into the farmlands. She lifted the barbed wire fence and crawled through a sign attached to it, outlet for subsoil drain. Silo followed. He lifted the fence too, making sure his clothes didn't catch in the spikes. He chased and chased after her, running for no other reason except to run. Years from now, they wouldn't be 18, 17, 18, and 18 anymore. Matric would be over. They would have lived through the 100 recessions and twice as many economic booms. Some of them would be married. Some would be failing a university course for the third time. Running is a kind of baptism. A thin layer of sweat clinging to your skin. Sometimes when you do it hard enough, the holy water of your body soaks your clothes. It carries the scent of the first kiss, the first wail that ripped through your lips when you fell and scraped your knee, the first time you opened your eyes and your mother was there to meet you, where she held you close and whispered that she had waited all her life to meet you. When Silo came in the night, Marcelo was cooking curry on the stove, delighting in her solitude and how the smell of the curry filled the house and steamed the windows. Silo told her he didn't want to go to church the next day. The disagreement about church were new. She was prepared for each one. She had to be. The guilt of uprooting Silo from his more colorful life in Lesotho had never left her. She felt the need to constantly defend the church and defend Lady Brent itself. What she wasn't prepared for was the look in his eyes as if he were pleading to be released from some inescapable fate. She asked him if something was the matter. No, but what I'm trying to understand is why you always make me go to church with you when you know what the church thinks of people like me. Sometimes, and she wasn't proud to admit this, she would have doubts about Silo's claims about his sexuality. Perhaps he was just confused, weren't we all at some point in our lives? She knew Silo had had a boyfriend, a nameless, faceless shadow floating around the edges of his grade 11 years. She had mentioned him only once, an invitation to Silo to bring him to dinner. But the words greeted her as soon as she said them. Both she and Silo felt uncomfortable. She never mentioned the shadow again. But she also knew the feeling of being in her own body, the heat in her navel awakened by a man's touch. There had been many men in her life. Sedinyane, Delang, Silo's own father, Mpete, and it confused her how her own son 
could feel the same heat for a man. What does the church think of you? And so she sought to understand Sil. In her mind, the reward was something not even God could give her. To understand her son as clearly as she understood herself. In restaurants, in doctor's office, in queues at the cinema, Marcel would fix her eyes upon any woman who happened to stand in her line of vision. She would wait to feel the heat from her navel. Her heart would beat faster. But nothing more than that would happen in her body. And that only increased her desperation to understand. That I'm going to hell for something I can't even change about myself. How does this look to you? Going to church and having to hear that I'm sinning just for loving someone? Just because God says something, it doesn't mean he's right all the time. Then how do you explain it? I can't change myself, but sometimes I wish I could. It makes me hate myself. I will never love a girl the way I can a boy. If God created me, then why can he understand that? And finally, some of the women would return Marcelo's gaze, but she would always look away. How could she tell Silo that she only wanted to see the world through his eyes? For her, this was the only way she could protect him from every pain in the world. What could a person say to even start those kinds of conversations with her gay son? We have to allow God the leeway to be wrong. We have to allow mankind the leeway to be wrong. Why? Why should I allow them to fuck me over like that? Because my love, that's how you love. Despite how badly this encounter went, in church, Silla kept looking at Brayton, and Brayton kept looking away. Then Brayton smiled, as if the last Sunday hadn't happened. They were back where they began. Silo surrendered himself to the game. As if he could sense his surrender, Brayton looked back at him, and this time did not look away. What was in Brayton's eyes? The intensity made Silo want to stand up and walk over to the right wing, to sit beside him so their bodies could touch. If you keep looking at me in church, I'll fucking kill you. I'm not a Morphe, okay? Silla looked away. Where are you going? Outside the church, Brayton intercepted Silla like a bolt of lightning. Where are you going? Surely he had mistaken Silla for someone else. It was impossible that the boy who had just brushed Silla's elbow with his fingertips was the same boy who had insulted him last Sunday. With Brayton before him, Silla felt a resignation anchoring him to the earth, as if the two of them, here on the church's grounds, were an image predestined in the Bibles of the world. They were like boys drawn on parchment papers, vines curled around the ankles, 
the upper bodies naked and bound with primordial scriptures. Silla tried to remain calm. I'm going home. Look, I came to apologize to you. I shouldn't have said those words I said to you. They were horrible. You were right. It was wrong of me to make you feel uncomfortable. I apologize too. Still, Brayton's cheeks grew red. Only then could Selom master their courage to meet his eyes. Didn't Harry Potter have green eyes as well? Brayton shifted his weight around and bounced on his heels. It seemed he was burning to say something. Can I ask you something? Sure. Don't be cross with me, okay? Okay. Are you gay? Selaw studied the sheen of sunshine against his cheekbones, his lips almost swollen against the summer heat. There was a smell coming off his clothes, of old rooms toasted to sterility from sunshine. A smell that reminded Silo of slow summers where the bottom could get so much he was nearly suicidal with it. Silo didn't answer. They stood in silence for a while before Brayton took out something from his pocket that looked like a large battery. Only when the sunshine glanced against its screen did Silo realize it was a phone. Do you want to take my number? Sure. Silo held out his hands for the phone, but Brayton recovered it with possessiveness, not unlike how he had grabbed the tap at the stone fountain last Sunday. If you keep looking at me in church, I'll fucking kill you. I'm not a morphine, okay? Do you mind if I take your number, rather? I'll SMS you. Sure. It's 07897. Sorry, not so fast. Sorry, it's 07897125239. Yeah, it's Silo. Cool. My name is Brayton. Thanks. I'll SMS you. Cool. Cool. Thanks. A short while after moving to Lady Brand, Silo started to have sex with an acquaintance of his named David. They wouldn't have sex in Lady Brand itself. David worked in Bloemfontein. Although Silla had met him in Lady Brand on a dating website, Silla took a taxi to meet him in Bloemfontein, traveling for two hours. Like Brayton, David was white, but much, much older. So old, he had streaks of silver in his hair. His handsome smile suggested a boyhood beauty that must have driven people insane. A white boyhood where the world was also a feast. The whites only beaches, the whites only restaurants. David had witnessed the South African dream. As young as Silo was, it was a dream the born free years couldn't grant him to. They attempted to find it in each other's bodies. Corgesu Sacratissimum The still lens pierced in the heart of Jesus. Like Jesus at Calvary, 
Silo shed some blood when David entered him. Silo wondered if Jesus had screamed too. Had he, like Silo, felt the pain and the pleasure of surrendering his flesh to the madness of mortal men? Men whose muscular chests jiggled like earthquakes when they fucked. Silo and David filled up the sepulchres inside of each other, mourning in the hollow halls. It hurt so much. It felt like there was a crown of thorns around David's cock. As the condom dried up, the pain intensified. Latex and flesh, it was also a kind of heaven. When it was over, they picked their clothes from the floor as if picking shed of skin. Silo watched David in the darkness of the room, his back to him. After throwing the condom away, Silo hesitated. He finally broke the silence. I think I'm falling in love with you. Keep it to yourself. I just came here to fuck. There came a fear. And Silo knew it was the same one that cut through his chest when he first laid eyes on Brayton, or when Brayton said he would kill him. Silo was scared because it was true. They both knew it was true. Silo was scared because of the sheer physicality of him. He towered high. He cast a shadow with his brawn, a fear like encountering God. Boys like him were skilled in building the kind of pyre Silo would gladly throw himself into. The flames licking his elbows and entering his mouth, he looked at Brayton's hands, rust streaked with helping his father on their farm. I find that hard to imagine. Your father taking off his robes to drive a tractor? You'll find that he's a normal African's man behind the theatrics. I'm like him almost. Really? They were at Cranberry Restaurant on a Monday morning. He had kept his promise to text Silo, writing Silo's name in capital letters in what Silo assumed was a conversation starter. Silo. But when Silo texted back, no reply came. And for a week, the now contextless Silo hung between their phones like a tablet of stone. Until Sunday evening, Silo had stayed behind in his first successful boycott of the church. Though he had fought with Marcelo, his reward had been an SMS from Brayton. Silo didn't question the choice of meeting on a school day. No more than he questioned which school Brayton attended or who his friends in Ladybrand were. He was aware that Brayton was creating a secret universe for both of them, tightly woven so they could occupy it while their friends were at school and the adults were at work. Marcelo had dropped him off at school just like any other day, but that Monday, Silo waited for her car to pass around the bend before he started walking back. She had surely crossed the border now to Lesotho at that point. Silo changed out of his school uniform 
in the bathrooms at Wimpy and walked to Cranberry. When he got there, there were patches of sweat on the undersides of his arms, but he had no time to freshen up because Brayton was already waiting. The conversation moved slowly. He was so beautiful, Silo's heart ached. Clouds passed over them. Pockets of sunshine, shadows from the sky played across their bodies. Silo learned that he was a cancer, born on 25th June, that he had an interest in birding. Every word Silo uttered in return was a sacred offering. Apology Summer, Lesotho. Brayton had this way of looking at him, especially when he discussed things Silo couldn't easily understand. Birds, rugby teams, an intensity his eyes gained as he waited for Silo's mind to assemble the pieces of information he needed for the idea to make sense. Brayton ordered a beer. When it arrived, the glass was perspiring from the chill. Silo wanted to transform himself into a liquid so Brayton could drink him too. A strange look clouded Brayton's eyes. Silo saw it from behind the rim of the beer glass. By the time he put down the glass, the conversation had fizzled out. Only the strange look remained. Silo recognized it immediately. Brayton had touched the walls of the glass castle. In the glass castle, a hundred boys fumbled over each other's naked bodies. Their mouths moved, but no one could hear what they were saying. The castle walls were too thick. Brayton was one of them, as was Silo in his own way. The boys pulled the hair from their skulls, singing of a longing for release that would never come. Silo never had to come out to Marcel, but he still remembered how it felt to be trapped in the class castle himself. In many ways, he still was. Why else would he agree to meet with a boy still trapped like Brayton if he wasn't? In the restaurant, the summer sunshine filtered through the foliage, creating a calm that seemed to stick even to the fabric of their clothes. Despite this, Brayton excused himself, and from his body, Silo could sense the weight of the unspoken words that shrouded the both of them. The weight of summer and all the small and precious things they said and did to each other. After exactly seven minutes, Silo counted, Brayton returned. Silo opened his mouth to speak. He went back and forth, deciding if the words would be appropriate. He convinced himself that it was his job to save Brayton. He would break the glass castle on his behalf. But as soon as, as he said the words, he knew that they were too big. I think I'm falling in love with you. Brayton made a strange sound in his throat. Silo's heart beat faster, but there was none of the self-loathing that stuck to his body 
in David's bed. A breeze moved through the restaurant. It touched Silo's skin, creating goose flesh. Brayton made some movement. He glanced at Silo before lowering his head and placing it between his hands. Wasn't there a painting like that somewhere in history? He could easily have been a boy in a famous artwork, a watercolor boy in a garden who couldn't handle the weight of his thoughts, so he held them in his hands instead. Silo couldn't see his face. What was he thinking? The restaurant's pet peacock strolled beside them, dragging a shock of feathers behind it. When movement finally came, Silo struggled to connect the two still boy in front of him to the sudden golden movement under the table. It was Brayton's foot touching his. Warmth spread across Silo's legs, summoning an erection. He allowed Brayton's foot to roam across his. When people made their shoes, in the Asian countries, had they envisioned such a grand future for simple patterns sewn into leather? Silo laughed. Brayton didn't laugh back. His foot wasn't roaming anymore. It lay beside Silo's foot. Brayton picked at Silo through his hands. I can't tell you what you want to hear. But thank you for telling me. I know you can't tell me, but can I get something more than thank you, please? That's all I can give you for now, I'm sorry. The eyes followed the peacock. It seemed aware of the attention and lifted its long neck. Silo turned back to Brayton. It's not as hard as you think it's going to be. My life changed the day I decided not to give a fuck about what people thought. Brayton shook his head. Let's not speak about this anymore. Silla felt for him under the table. The food was gone. Brayton was sitting up straight again, like he did in church. His eyes were impenetrable. How are you getting home? Silo's foot tingled. This was how his body had tingled when months ago in Bloemfontein he woke up in David's bed, but David wasn't there. The tingling across his arms when he used to wake up and hear Marcelo arguing with his father. One night, Silo's father started his Toyota and never came back. Um... I'm walking home. The tingling didn't stop. Brayton took out a leather wallet and paid for their food. He asked if Silo knew that peacocks could fly. Finally, when the preliminary leaving of restaurant rituals were done, waiting for the change, signing off the tip, Brayton looked into Silo's eyes. Can I ask you for a big favor? Sure. I'm going to ask you to leave 15 minutes after me. 15 minutes, okay? I don't want people to see that we are together. Sure. Brayton got up 
and placed his chair neatly against the table. Without saying goodbye, he walked away. Silo held on to the tightness in his chest. Words were seamless, as was the regret of either saying them or leaving them untouched. Watching a Brayton disappear behind the cranberry's foliage, one of the last thoughts Silo had, lingering like the last guest at a party, was that he had a nice ass. By then, Silo's food had stopped tingling. Silo met David at the hotel. David had already booked out the room, telling Silo not to bother checking in at reception. Just walk through to the room. Why was Silo back here, even after he promised himself never to return? David wasn't a bad person. When they had sex, he would kiss Silo's eyelashes as if to counteract the pain his flesh caused inside Silo. There was something beautiful about the gesture. Silo felt delicate under his weight. When they undressed, David would sometimes stand in the middle of the room, eyes roaming over Silo's naked body. I forgot how beautiful you actually are. David once told Silo that he had been married to a woman. What made you divorce her? I was tired of living a lie. Things were different when I was your age. If I had been honest with myself, I would have avoided so many fuck-ups. Silo listened to the sound of David in the bathroom. P hitting the toilet bowl. David opening the tap to wash his face. He always sweated after sex. There was always something to hope for. To meet a boy, to fall into his arms and know that he would break his fall. Sometimes Silo would entertain the possibility that Brayton was that boy. Maybe with enough trying, Silo could still set him free. Other times, Silo forgot why he even liked Brayton at all. When David was inside him, the sensation felt realer than anything he had ever experienced. The glances exchanged in church, his fleeting but palpable moments of joy in Cranberry, David tied himself like a knot inside Silo's body, and Silo convinced himself that this was all there ever was. It was all there ever could be. Cheap hotels in Bloemfontein, dilapidated apartments, a shirtless man smoking on the balcony besides a potted plant. Things seemed so easy for Silo's friends at school. He would watch them at the discos while they danced under the colorful lights. Boys with girls, girls with boys. As the night approached its end, they would lean against other with all the freedom of unsupervised teenagers. This bed, here with David, this was Silo's world. He dreaded the aftermath of David getting done. David would throw his legs off the bed and immediately start picking up his clothes. He would throw the condom away, checking the time. 
his phone would light up in the darkness. Silo expected much of the same. He knew the texture of David's back better than he knew his face. David didn't reach out for his phone this time. He turned around on the bed and faced Silo. There was an expression Silo hadn't seen in his eyes before. A glimmer of warmth. Or was this something Silo was reading into a face that he really didn't know? You're quite right. Are you alright? Silo smiled. He answered that he was. The Boys Whose Hearts Were Sepulchres was read to you by Bokang Abane and written by Moso Sematlane. Moso is a writer and filmmaker based in Maseru Lesotho. He has been shortlisted for the 2021 Commonwealth Short Story Prize and the 2022 Gerald Crack Award. And I'm happy to share some good news with you. Nipe's story has been nominated for the inaugural Africa Podcast and Voice Awards in the fiction category. I'm really excited and grateful for this. But I'm calling a favor. I need your votes, please. Visit the APVA.Africa website. That's APVA.Africa website. Go to their voting page. Find the fiction category and vote for Nipe's story. Thank you for taking the time to vote. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And good luck to us and all the other nominees. Nipe Story is available to download on AfriPods, the platform for African podcasts, and also wherever you get your podcasts from. Please write a review and rate the podcast and tell your networks about Nipe Story. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipe Story, and on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.